So happy Easter week. Did you have a good week? So I, I want to propose to you this morning that if Easter Sunday was an explosion, then what follows is actually an infusion. I want to propose to you that resurrection, if resurrection was this massive announcement, like, like voices singing and choirs belting out the, the, this wonderful news, he is risen, and everybody, and last Sunday was great, and we had great fun. Then I want, to, I want to propose to you that transformation that comes from resurrection is actually an intimate meeting with a friend for coffee. See, we, learn toward, we lean toward this idea that, that resurrection power changes our lives with this massive, immediate personality change and a correction in our lives. And if we don't suddenly have this, this, this massive change, then we say the whole resurrection power thing, we're not doing it right. But I want to propose to you this morning that faith in a resurrected Jesus is not so much us doing it right, but that something right is being done to us. And there's a really, really big difference in that. So here's, here's a brief story to support that, that Jesus himself tells, and we're walking through several weeks of stories that Jesus told that deal with how we get resurrection life infused into us. And so Jesus does this. Jesus also used the illustration that the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. And even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So, so I, don't, I, I want you to catch this because I don't want you to, to miss this juxtaposition of, of what he's saying of the size. He said, there is this little bit of yeast. And, and I don't know much about baking, but as I understand it, that, that some people call it the starter. And it's, it's the, the dough off the last batch that was used. And now it is, is been set aside so that it ferments. And it's just a small amount. And he said, there's this little bit of yeast. And then he said, there's these three measures of, of, of dough. And, and for us to understand, this is more than, than mom getting up on Saturday morning to make a, a few cinnamon rolls. This is a massive amount of dough. This woman is going to bake. She is a baker. She's going to go sell this bread. And so she takes this little, little amount, this starter, and she kneads it into the massive amount of dough. And then what happens is that stuff that she kneaded in begins to permeate every single piece of that dough, transforming both its nature and its size. The little bit redefines the nature of what it is infused into. And that is how resurrection power works. What I, the way that I want it to work and, and, and the way that I grew up thinking it would work is that every Easter Sunday when, when we have this wonderful explosion of, of joy and, and he has risen from the grave and especially here when we were doing Easter musicals and, and so we would do Easter musical and we'd all build up, build up to the time that the stone would roll back and he'd come out and the lights would shine behind him and we'd go, yay, he's risen and it's, it's a great moment. It's just It's just great. And I want to take that explosive power, and I read about it in Paul's writings, that, that we have this power, that the very power that lifted Christ from the grave. And what I want to do is I, I look at it as some kind of a C4 powerful charge, this explosion, and, and I, want to, I want to attach it to my job. I want to attach it to my marriage. I want to attach it to my parenting. I want to attach it uh, to, to 
my social life, and, and then I want Jesus just to explode in it, and when the dust settles, everything's fixed. So it's what I want, that's, and that, that's what I think should happen. Because I believe in miracles, I believe in, in spiritual movement, I believe in revivals, I believe in all of that. I believe as, as people will pray, and I hear them, they'll say, they'll start to declare the promises of God and the resurrection of Jesus, and they'll say, and I declare that these promises shall be into this atmosphere, and I'm going, yes, yes. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that if we're going to declare, we better first prepare. Because I want resurrection power to rearrange or recreate the landscape around me. Kaboom! It's better. What Jesus wants is resurrection power to redefine my nature in here. Do, do, do you ever, ever have those moments when something bothers you and just in a normal day, it would be an irritant, but on this day you explode? It just, it, so maybe, maybe you've been sleepless all night and there's just stuff weighing on you from work and it's just, you keep waking up and you can't go to sleep and it's just, it's just worn you out and you get up in the morning, oh, gee, it's just one of those days and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down because you always love your, your Honey Nut Cheerios so you head down the steps to get your Honey Nut Cheerios because you're going to have that and on the way down you step in what the dog dumped on that night. And you would think that North Korea just invaded because you'll kill the dog. And so then you have to clean it off your foot and you have to clean it off with the steps. And, and then you go, okay, Honey Nut Cheerios. And you go, you go into, the, into the pantry, you open up the door, you get out the Honey Nut Cheerios, you pour it out, and there's nothing in the box. And you know that last kid who ate that didn't tell anybody and put the box back in. And now you want to kill the kid. And you know that just there's stuff stirred in here. And the problem is what's happening in here is that things are out of order. Things are in disorder. A well-ordered life comes from a well-ordered soul. And there's this verse that, that I looked at this week that I have read over and over and over, and I've even sung it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. What's the rest of it? Bless his holy name. And so I, I've sung that. And, and there's this whole thing in there that I want us to look at for just a moment that, that really talks about the orderliness of what is inside of us. So this morning, you may be sitting here and you've been feeling a host of emotions outside of what you normally do sitting in a church service. You may be feeling a feeling of rejection and, and it's just brewing inside of you. And along with that, you're feeling also some anger because of that rejection and you're feeling some sadness inside of there too about, and that's all just brewing inside your emotions. At the same time, your mind is rehearsing the argument you had last night and what you wish you would have said and what you wish you wouldn't have said, and it's just processing through your brain. And meantime, your body is saying, I need comfort food. A nice double cheeseburger with a, with a hot fudge brownie chaser would be great. And what is happening is that the all that is within me is all out of order. 
There's a disorder in all of that, and it doesn't know what to do. It doesn't know how to handle the situation, and you're just trying to get back on track. You're trying to get everything right. It's explained so well by John Ortberg, who says, God designed us so that our choices, our thoughts, and our desires and our behavior would be in perfect harmony with each other and would be powered by an unbroken connection with God in perfect harmony with him and all his creation. That is a well-ordered soul. The soul is what connects all of those innermost parts together, connects them with God, and was made for harmony all the way through. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, that's trying to order all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So I started reading this last Friday, the Gospel of, of Mark. Because I, I, I read through the Bible, and then I go back and I start all over again, and now I'm in, in, in the book of Mark. And I have read through the book of Mark, I can't tell you how many times, I don't know, but this amazed me because I didn't catch this before, that as I began to read through the first chapter of the book of Mark, I kept hearing the word or seeing the word immediately, 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 immediately. In fact, Mark uses that word immediately in his Gospel 41 times. And its, its intent is that there is an urgency. And the urgency is always used around Jesus. That Jesus immediately, and those with Jesus immediately, and they immediately. And so, so we think, well, urgency, he, 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 he's in a hurry. Now, now see, we, we, we have this tendency to really believe that if we're going to have any kind of influence and we're going to do well in our life, that we have to be involved in a lot of important things so that a lot of important things happen as a result of what we do. And so we say, okay, I'm going to do this thing, and then I'm going to do this thing, and then I'm going to, oh, and I've got to get this thing done, and then I'm going to put this, and then this thing, and then my kids got to do this, and we're going to go over and do this thing, and then, okay, now we're in a hurry because we got to go make sure we get this thing done, and soon we are, we are piled high with things that we have to do, and we are in a hurry trying to get to all of those things. Jesus was never that way. Take a look. Never in a hurry. This is not about a hurried urgency. This is about focus. The well-ordered soul has one primary focus. So we are carrying all this stuff. And we're walking through life trying to get to this thing and to that thing and be there and, 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 and be involved in this, this athletic event and, and, and working on your masters and, and you're walking back and forth carrying all of these things and here's another opportunity and if you could hear it clearly, if the focus was in line, you would know that this is one of those that is an immediately, it's an urgent thing that God wants you to take care of but you are so loaded down, you go, I, I, I don't have time and we hurry by it or we take it and say, it'll be one of the things I finally get to after I get the rest of this stuff done, and we have just missed something that we were made to connect to. We just walk by it. Or we just put it in the pile of stuff. I appreciate the words of Dallas Willard who reminds us that we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. So I just want, I just want to be really clear because I'm guilty of this as anybody else that if I am in a hurry and exhausted because of it, then my life is not in order. 
Because if I'm following Jesus, he's not running from place to place. It is so well-ordered that he knows what immediately is. He knows that there it is, that's urgent, and I can do that. Because he's carrying something inside of him that is the very primary focus of his life. So if I'm, if I'm going to be able to take care of this, then somehow I've got to start unloading all this stuff. And, and what do you unload? Because we look at it all and go, well, I, that's important, and that's important, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do this. So how do I know what should be in the very center of my soul? And I want to encourage you to do this. Decide what is the thing we could live off of if it was the only thing we possessed. Because that, my friends... That is the yeast that will permeate everything else. What is the one thing, the one thing that you could live off of? The only thing that you would possess, and, and that thing would make you happy, that thing would give you joy, that thing would go, oh, it's just so right. As a follower of Jesus, as one who wants the power of the resurrection, and how many of you in this place would say, yeah, I want that power that lifted Jesus from the grave, I want that in my life. Yes, okay, so, so here's what I think, and, and I want to use, use the words again of Dallas Willard, cause, and he phrases it so well. This is what I think should be the center. This should be in the middle of our soul. This is what should permeate everything that we do. He says this, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. You say, oh, man, I'm just I'm not very content. I'm not content with my job. I'm not content with the disharmony in my marriage. I'm not content with, with the habits that I can't break. Now, understand, it's not that you arrange your days so that work is great or you have a great sex life or that you feel good about yourself. This is about contentment. This is about joy. This is about confidence in your everyday experience with God right now. That is our primary focus. That is the leaven. That is the yeast. That is the primary focus. That will then permeate, because this is what he said, it will permeate all other parts of your life, and if you want that, whatever you want to permeate is what you put in the middle of the soul. Because that is what then will redefine our jobs, our marriage, our habits, our sex life, our self-image. All of that gets redefined by what is infiltrating and what is, is, is moving in and permeating all that we are. Unfortunately, we take this relationship with Jesus and we pile it on the rest of the stuff that we're carrying. So you say, Pastor, hey, last Sunday was great. We had a lot of people here, not so many much, as many people here. Why? And I'll tell you why. Because we live in a culture where, where worshiping and loving Jesus is some of the stuff we carry. And so what happens is everybody shows up on Easter Sunday, and then they have to rearrange their rotation through because most people only come every three or four weeks. And so this is what happens. And so we take this thing with Jesus, this relationship with Jesus, this love with Jesus, this focus on Jesus, and we, and we put it as part of, of what we do, when in reality, it should be the center of everything we do, because it is that which redefines our life. Now, if we're going to do that, let me give you some, some, some practical guidance here. We must accept this, that the soul needs a keeper. Someone needs to keep the soul, and who is that? 
Who does that? No, not Jesus. You. You guys sound like you've been to church. What's the answer? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's like the old story of the, the guy that's teaching a bunch of kids, and he's, and he's got them seated with him, and he's, he's saying, okay, so now there's this free little animal that has little ears and, and a bushy tail, and it stores up nuts for the winter. Who knows what it is? And, and nobody says. He says, so he describes it again, and, and nobody says what it is. And finally, the little boy raises his hand. He, he said, Jason, what is that? He says, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds a lot like a squirrel. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. The answer there is not Jesus. It's you. You are the keeper of the soul. And we think that whatever we're feeling inside is uncontrollable. That emotion, the, 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 tur the turmoil. And, and, we, and so we've got to stay sad or we've got to stay angry until it just passes. And in no way is that correct. Because listen to the psalmist. David says this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? I'm telling you, you hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He speaks to his soul. This is not, not self-talk. Self-talk is how we just talk to ourselves. Self-talk is, is riding on Peach Street, and you, know, and you get behind those people, and you know what you say in your self-talk. Because <laughs> everybody else is a jerk on that street except you. Or you say to yourself, that was a stupid thing to say. Why would I say that? And you're self-talking. This is not self-talk. This is soul talk. Because soul talk is a part of me that is in connection with God. And I'm speaking to that part that is, that is God present. So one day, I got angry at Pam. And she said, what's wrong with you? I don't know. Because it's one of those stupid little things that just is just, just maybe an irritant, but it's not a big deal. And, and suddenly I make it a big deal. And she said, what are, you, what are you doing? Hey, I'm your pastor. Be quiet. <laughs> that doesn't work. Because <laughs> she'll vote me out. So I go in and, and, and I'm taking a shower trying to just figure out what's going on and just the hot water hit me and just kind of relax. And, and so I, I do some soul talk. Hey, soul, why are you angry? And there's this God thing happening in there. And out of that, that, that beginning, I get this sense of the, the word fear. And I say, soul, why are you fearful? And then I, I begin this journey in the shower. As it begins to, to go deeper into stuff as I'm talking to my soul. That I realize, as, as David said, why are you in turmoil? That word turmoil is a really interesting, interesting word. There are times that I'll be in a, in a grouping of people. It could be a conference, it could be a wedding reception, it could be whatever, and everybody's talking, but, but no one's listening, they're just all talking, and you start to get this hummy noise, and, and in the room you can just hear a pitch, just, and sometimes Pam will get mad at me, because I'll, I'll hear that, and I'll just start going, she, what are you doing? I'm just talking like everybody else. She stopped that, well, they don't know. Because, it, because it's, it's nonsensical. That is the word turmoil. 
It actually has the, the, the word hum as its base, meaning that there's some kind of disorderly thing happening inside of here that is just this disorganized hum, and it needs to get aligned. So why is there this commotion? So then I have to respond back and I have to say, because here's, here's what I know. There's stuff inside that is out of order. And it's out of order because that stuff has never had a direct connect or a confrontation with the resurrected Jesus. If it is a fear, then Jesus and that thing have got to get together. Because what is happening is that I still have control of it and it's not going well. That, that I don't have faith in him for that thing, and I have to work that through until I can come to peace with that, where I can say, if he can rise from the grave, he can take care of that thing. But as long as I let it stay in there and it not, does not confront, it is this turmoil, it is this commotion, it is this hum that is disrupting me, and every once in a while, it'll start to come out, and, and my wife will go, what's, what's with, why are you that way? And then I've got to start working through it. So then I've got to say to my soul, wait a minute, soul. We need to put our hope in God. We need to focus here because he is my, my self, salvation and he is my God. See, a counselor or a friend or a companion can help lead you there, but you are the only one who can address your soul. You're the only one who can give directions to your soul. You're the only one that can say, this is what you will do in connection with God. Which means we've got to do this. We've got to keep our souls centered in the right place. Because whenever I feel anxious, whenever I feel selfish, whenever I feel lost, it's because my soul is not centered where it needs to be. So David was a great king in Israel. His son Absalom thought that he, Absalom, would make a better king. So he engineered a coup against his father. And there's this unwritten law that if you take over a kingdom, you kill that king. So that he's not a threat to you anymore. And David understands that. And his son's bringing troops in. And he doesn't want to fight his son. So he says to his, his court and, and, the, and his generals and his entourage, he said, we got to go. And David, who's to be anointed king of Israel and has been, now leaves the city. Now, as he's going out, he comes across a guy named Shimei. Shimei was part of the family of the previous king before David named Saul. He believes that David took over the throne and, and, and engineered a coup, and therefore he is angry. Still angry at David. So as David, the king of Israel, is walking out with his generals and his, and, and his bodyguards, he starts throwing stones at David and dirt at David and cursing him. He has words like this. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. And David's general says, do you want me to go cut off his head? And most of us would go, yeah. Now listen to David's response. No, the king said, who asked your opinion, you sons of Zariah, if the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? 
Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, my own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't his, this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road, and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing as he went, throwing stones at David, and tossing dust in the air. How does David stay so under control? Under control? Because I don't think I could do that. I, just, I get ticked off at people who cut in line at the movie theater and go off with their heads. Well, the, the key is the next verse. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted. Yeah. And there he what? Refreshed himself. The root of that word refreshed is a Hebrew word, nefesh. It simply means this. Nefesh means that, that you, you, you get this, this breath, this, this cool wind, this refreshing wind on you. And it's just like, oh. But what we need to understand is that it's also tied to another word, both of them rooted together, nephesh and nephesh. And nephesh is the word soul. And the intention of this is simply that he re-souled himself. He recentered himself at that moment because understand that an uncentered soul will feel vulnerable to people or crisis and will panic, will take control, will do what we think we need to do. David says, okay, so he's, he's cursing me and, and maybe God sent him to curse me. Maybe that's what's supposed to happen. Maybe that's what God wants. And if it's not what God wants, then God can take care of him. So, so I'm gonna, you see that where he's centered? It's just, it's, Right there with God. What, what does God want me to do with this? Where is God in this whole Shimei thing, this whole Absalom thing? Where is God in this? I'm not going to fight my son and, and kill him, so I'm going to move on because that's what I think God is in this. I'm not going to curse this man back. I'm not going to send my general up to cut his head off. I am not going to act in a negative way because I am centered on who God is in this moment, at this time, and always what he wants. David arranged his days so that he was experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in his everyday life with God, no matter who or what was attacking him. He was centered. There's this great description of, what, of, of someone who's centered in Jesus because when you're centered in Jesus, you can never tell what Jesus is going to do. The guy's name is Mike Iaconelli, and, and I appreciate what he says. Listen to this. I want a lifetime of holy moments. Every day I want to be in dangerous proximity of Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, risk, and danger. I long for a faith that is gloriously treacherous. I want to be with Jesus not knowing whether to cry or laugh. Out of control in our own lives, but in control and connection with Jesus. So we don't know why we're being attacked, and we don't know, don't know who is the source, but here's what we can know, absolutely can know. We can know this, that the soul wants Jesus, and everything else branches from there. That's what the, that's what the craving is. See, you can be religious, and you can just try to hold on to Jesus for what we used to call fire insurance, just so that if there is a hell, you're not going there. 
thought, man, why would you miss this whole thing you were created for, which was that he would become your primary source, your primary view, your primary focus, that, that that is the thing that you do and that permeates the rest of your life so that you end up where you need to be and how you need to be. That's why Jesus said these words, yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So now, now don't miss this. Do not miss this, especially you that are extremely religious and perfectionists, that you feel like you have to do everything perfect for God, because if you miss once, you're going to hell. Or, or you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're, just, you're not going to be blessed by him. Listen to this. Bearing fruit means that I will do something significant for God and for other people, and I don't have to try that hard to do it. What I need to do is just make sure that I'm remaining in Jesus, that I live with in, intimately with Jesus from one moment to the next so that I am ready for the immediately. That I don't have to carry all this stuff. I only have to carry this wandering, wanting to, to be with Jesus. And I stay focused on that. And then today, there will be an immediately. So today, before I came in here, I'm saying, God, whatever you want to do in this service today, I want to be ready for the immediately. I don't have to carry all the other things that people want me to do. I only need to do what you want me to do today. And so I'm going to try to be really aware of that so that whatever that thing is, that, that I'm walking back here and I run into a friend and, and I ask her how she's doing and she said, my back's hurting. And the immediately is, pray for her. Take care of that. I could be running all over the place trying to do things, but God says, no, let that stuff go and, and just be aware of the immediately. That's why the King, King David wrote these words. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord, what? Always, always before me. Not just Sunday morning till noon. Not, not during your devotional time. And then, then, then later, as you're binge-watching Breaking Bad, he's not there. I have you there in front of me all the time. It's something that I'm training myself to do, to be aware of you every moment. This is what I carry, he says. And according to what Jesus says, when you do that, it permeates all parts of our living. So I don't have to figure out how to fix everything. I just need to make sure that I'm walking with Jesus intimately every moment. So I love this question. How many moments of my life today can I fill with conscious awareness of and surrender to God's presence? There's a full-time job. Every, well, you know how many seconds are in a day? 86,400. Can we make ourselves aware of God in each of those seconds? Can we fill them with God? There's, there's, there's this, this, this word that's used of God, and sometimes we don't know what to do with it, but it's called his glory. And it's the evidence of who he is wherever he's been. So the, the world is full of his glory. You, you sit in, at, at night and you, at, at dusk and you look at an eerie sunset over Presque Isle and you go, oh, only God could paint that. 
You're aware of that. That's his glory. Scripture says that, that when they built the temple and asked God to fill it, he came in and then there was this, this, this cloud, this, this thing that came over and people couldn't even get close to the temple because it's his glory. Moses spent some time and just saw what was called the residue of God, the backside of God, and there was so much of something there that when he came down off the mountain, his face began to shine. It's his glory. It's his fragrance. It's his light. That when we say that what I'm going to do is try to find God in every second today, that I'm going to keep talking to Jesus and keep focused on Jesus, and this is more than just your devotional time. And devotional time, for those who have walked with Jesus for a while, know that you get up in the morning and you read Scripture and you pray, and it helps you get started. Absolutely, it helps you get started, but it doesn't stop there. That is the start. And you start, and you keep focusing, where is he today at this moment? Where is he in, in this situation? Where is he as I'm taking this test? Where is he when I'm writing up this, this job description? Where is he as I'm taking care of my two-year-old? Where is he? And you keep finding him there. Because here's what I find. The people who devote themselves to staying close to Jesus end up with what glows and grows from him. And it's just, it's just all over you. And so here's what happens. We do not have to obnoxiously push our faith on people. Because people in darkness run toward the light. And if I've been with Jesus, I'm glowing. And so sometimes I interpret the question when Pam says to me, what's wrong with you? It means I ain't glowing. Something's not happening there. My dad, who was my mentor for so many years, used to say to me, if you're having turmoil in there, then you need to go spend more time just you and Jesus because until you have peace, he's not done. We don't even have to try to sin less. We just will. See, I, I, I gotta quit thinking, I, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that sin, I can't do that sin because what happens when you do that? What are you thinking about? The sin. I mean, that's like being on a diet and saying, I will not eat Krispy Kreme, I will not eat Krispy Kreme, I will not eat Krispy Kreme. Well, you're going to be like the person who said, God, if you want me to have a Krispy Kreme, let there be a parking spot right in the front, and the fourth time around, there it was. Say, <laughs> so I, I don't want to do that. In the 17th century, there's this book that actually is probably the most, most read book in the history of of books other than the Bible. It, it's called Practicing the Presence. It was written by Brother Lawrence. And, and listen to these words of this man who spent every second focusing on Jesus. Here's what he says, talking about Jesus. He talks with me and is delighted with me in a thousand ways. See, let me just stop there. Sometimes we have such an awkward view of who God is and what he wants in our lives because we don't spend enough time with him to understand how great his love is. I think that's why Paul wrote, I want you to know the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of his love. And if you would just, and he says dwell in him, if you would dwell there, you'd begin to say, look, look, and, 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 and this, this, this monk, he understood it. He said, he thinks of me he, and, and he's delighted with me in a thousand ways. What will that do with your self-image if you understand that the Creator is delighted in you in a thousand ways? Because there's a whole lot of people who are not delighted in you, and that seems to be all we think about. But you get with God, and you begin to dwell in with Jesus, and you begin to realize He's saying, boy, I just love you. 
Some of the most amazing times is when I have really messed up and I've gone to God in prayer and instead of being rebuked, he says, do you know how much I love you? And I go, wow. No wonder I serve him. He talks with me and is delighted with me a thousand ways and he forgives me. And he relieves me of my bad habits. Now catch this. He relieves me of my bad habits without talking about them. Is that not great? Because I'm just with him, that stuff just starts to fall off. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't even think about that anymore. Because the more I fill my life with him, the more that he permeates everything, that stuff doesn't have a place to get in. Get with Jesus Stay with Jesus, and the yeast penetrates all the dough. Our souls are looking for a Sabbath with Jesus, a rest with him that is uninterrupted, that is just focused on him continuously. Because, friends, we've been caring too much. We've been, we've been in a hurry too much. We're trying too hard. We're reaching for the wrong stuff. Again, John Ortberg says this, your soul will never find rest unless it finds its home. And we find it in the simple daily discipline of asking ourselves, is God here in this moment? And if he is not, he can be. And that, that, that's a discipline. That's a deal that we've got we've to work on. And, and so I, I've been trying to focus on this, and, and then I'll get halfway through a day and go, God, the last hour, I haven't even thought about it. So I've got to get back there again. But I'm going to tell you this, that, that, that when I know I'm centered there, There is this, this stability. There is this faith. There is this lack of fear. There's this lack of condemnation, guilt, and failure. There is this stability. There is this, this faith. There is this, this strength. There is this understanding that he is doing something amazing in me and around me. Get to this one purpose and focus there and we'll discover that our life is being redefined. It's just growing in us. And that, that is resurrection living. Would you stand? So here's what I think. I, I, I think that some of you just need to seal this today to say, wow, I, I think I've got some work to do. And the work is just to figure out how to get close to him. And if you say, I don't even know how to do that, we've got plenty of mentors and people. And if you just get a hold of one of us, we'll get you connected to somebody who'll sit down with you and, and walk you through how you begin that process. Show up to one of the Wednesday night classes. They'll stop and say, hey, we'll, we'll help you through this thing. So I'm going to ask right now that, that our, our elders, prayer team, council member, spouses, whoever is here to pray this morning would just come and, and come to the front here and face you. So just come right now. See, for them right now, this is one of those immediately's. It's an urgent moment that says be ready because someone wants to pray. And so what I'm going to invite you to do, I'm going to invite you to, to do this. 
as I dismiss you in just a moment, the music's gonna start playing. And, and I'm gonna invite you, if you'd like someone just to come seal that with you and pray with you, then, then come and be with them. And, and don't leave here until you begin to, to solidify some of the things that you've heard the Spirit of God say to you today. Because even if you, you say, okay, I'm in turmoil, I, I've, I've got that commotion in here, I'm not even sure where to begin, have them just pray with you that you begin to understand what's there. And that you begin to see God in every moment today and, and begin to speak to your soul. Say, so why are you so upset? So why are you angry? So why are you fearful? And then say, we're going to find God in this thing. We're going to get you connected to God. And these folks will help pray with you. And if you have any other needs you want them to pray with, if you're not feeling well and physically you need to be changed, they're going to pray with you. So let me just pray a blessing over you. So if you want to take a posture of receiving, would you do that? So now may you have an awareness of the Holy One around you. May you discern where the disruptions in your own soul are and may you have the courage to address it and find that God will answer that for you. May you run into the right people at the right moment who will speak into your life to help you become well-ordered. And may you find that as you walk this journey, as you find your one purpose, the joy the contentment, the confidence in every day with God. May you find that you have found what you were created to be and to do. We pray that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.